Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hi, welcome to this week's Andy J Podcast. Hope you're doing all right. I hope your week is going as well as possible, given the funny time that we're currently going through. And I hope that, well, the next hour or so gives you a little bit of escapism and a little bit of entertainment to uh, to brighten up your day. Now, we've got three really interesting guests for you, and they're very, very different in nature. Chris Stark... Michael Underwood and Gavin Rothery. Now, I'll explain all of them in a little bit. And of course, we'll hear from them very shortly because they are some really, really good quality conversations today. So I'm, I'm chuffed to be able to share them with you. Chris Stark, of course, he is from Radio One. He does a load of stuff with Scott Mills and he's on that Peter Crouch podcast. Now, I was lucky enough to be able to catch up with Chris towards the end of summer 2019, where we took the Driven Chat truck to his property. If you don't know what the Driven Chat truck is, we have another podcast called Driven Chat, which is an automotive skewing podcast. And we have this amazing vehicle, which is a, a lorry that transforms, like a like a transformer, uh, into a TV and radio studio. The whole thing just kind of unfolds and becomes pretty massive, actually. And we took this into, uh, into Chris's property and we unfolded it. And so he and I had a kind of on-camera sit-down. Now, some of this conversation's gone out on talk radio, but this is the full conversation where we get to go a lot deeper and hear a a lot more about him. And he's such an interesting guy with a a really, really quality outlook on life. So I hope you'll enjoy this chat with Chris. Then we have Michael Underwood, a blast from my past, my early days in broadcasting, which I've been doing for thousands of years now. I started off hosting Children's ITV and and associated uh, children's shows on ITV. And Michael Underwood, he was kind of like a a really good bud of mine back in the day. And it's funny, you know, sometimes you just lose track of time. And, And there's that old saying about friends, which is it doesn't matter how recently you've caught up with someone. If you know they're a mate, you know, you'll always be able to just click when you catch up that's not even a saying is it but <laughs> you know what I'm getting at so neither Michael nor I had realized that 16 years had passed since we'd last hung out and caught up which is just terrible I mean I, I felt awful afterwards it was so lovely catching up with him and I'm pleased to say we've uh, we've stayed in text contact since this chat which was uh, a few weeks ago so really happy to be able to share that with you now he's a good good guy and it's a, it's a really fun conversation and then my last guest is somebody who You might not recognise his name yet, but believe me, he is about to go global. So Gavin Rothery is a movie director and he's worked on some incredible films in other capacities prior to his release, which we're about to talk about. Um, Now, for example, Moon, Duncan Jones's phenomenal sci-fi film, which I think is just incredible. Um, Gavin was a massive part of that visually, lots of special effects and design and so on and so forth. And I'd met Gavin a long, long, long time ago, and he told me that he was going to be a director. It was what he was going to do, and he had a he had a plan. And now his dream and his ambition and his focus has come true. He has just 
directed this incredible sci-fi film called Archive. Now, we recorded this just before the latest lockdown, so we do make reference to cinema release because that was, of course, on the agenda. But obviously, with increased COVID restrictions, theatrical release for Archive is, well, it's on pause right now. It has to be, of course. So there is a digital download available of the movie coming out on the 18th of January, just in a few days' time. And I've got to say, I was lucky enough to see a press screening of Archive and I thought it was brilliant. So good, I've watched it twice now. And I will be downloading digitally uh, from the 18th as well. Because, do you know what, Gavin, not only is he a fascinating guy who's worked on some incredible things and a lovely guy, he is a living example of never giving up. He is a guy that has set out, he's had one thing in his mind, this is my dream. I don't care how long it takes and what i got to do and the sacrifices I have to make, I am going to achieve this dream. And he's done it. The film is a triumph and he already has a whole list of massive movies that he's going to be producing, directing and so on moving forward. I think this guy is going to be a massive star. So I can't wait for you to hear from Gavin either. I hope this brings you a bit of a lift today. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for your company. And if you have a good time with this show... Tell your friends, share it around. Let's jump in, shall we? We've got Michael, Gavin, and first up, Chris. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to Driven Chat. Now, I'm thrilled to be able to welcome my next guest, a man who, well, he's got just this silly list of achievements, including hanging out at the palace, incidentally, which we'll come on to. But right now, we're, we're going to throw in straight away a little treat for students. Eat, sleep, Zoom reheat. It's a brand new cookbook powered by Mr. Chris Stark. How are you doing? Hello. Did I get it right? Because it was eat, eat, sleep, rave. Yes, reheat, it was. It? Yeah. So when we originally had the idea for it, we wanted to make this student cookbook. That was the name. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. It was thought of in the pub about, you know, we'd had a few drinks. And I was like, yeah, this is the one. This is the name. And then obviously COVID has happened. Yeah. And, um, and we decided that it would be right to kind of reflect it somehow. So... We either had to come up with a whole new name or we just switch out one word and put I Zoom in and said, and that's, to be honest, the lazier option was the easier option on this it's a, It really tracks. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say, as, yeah, as, I, yeah. as I've just established, but once you've said it once, I think it becomes much easier. Yeah. But I love the idea of it. I mean, look, I'm, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I've followed your career for a long time. And you've been, I would say, you've been in this situation where you have made the most of every random, because... You know what it's like as a broadcaster. Mm. You kind of get parachuted into random moments. Yeah. Moments that you can't really explain to your mates. You yeah. can't really say, hey, I'm doing this today. Because you only kind of find out about things quite short notice. Mm. And you have basically rinsed every moment, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, totally. And I think, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. That's a, such a good way to put it. Um, some would say blagging it. Some would say uh, there's luck involved. But um, that's exactly it. I just find that... This job that I do, if you want to call it a job, it's so hard to explain what you'll do day by day and what actually it is. But I find that it's just presented so many different opportunities. And with each one of those, I've learned every time and I've just got a little bit more confidence in going, it's okay to just go and do that random thing. And it's yeah. okay to go and do something silly. And and I think that just comes with time because when I first started at Radio 1, I genuinely, I felt so out of my depth. And I didn't really feel like I belong there at all. And I think what I've learned is that I'm not an exception to the rule. It, it, we're all doing random stuff and you've just got to embrace it. And that's what it's been for me. Radio 1 and, and everything I feel like I've been lucky to do has just been 
uh, a journey which is full of random stuff, events, opportunities, and uh, I've learned that the best thing you can do in those scenarios is just go with them, say yes as yeah. often as you can, and well, make you know, the most of it. I've got to say, like when I've when I've kind of listened to what you do, because you're with Scott Mills on Radio yeah. One, you're also a big big feature of that Peter Crouch mm. podcast, which is great, and you know smashing it on on every level Thank you. pod charts, which is amazing. But what I love is that you represent, I. I kind of, every time I hear you speak and every time I see you in certain circumstances, mm. I just kind of think, that's what that's what we'd all do. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? We'd all totally. bring up our football team or we'd all want to have a beer with a prince. Or whatever. But uh, you, you've just kind of gone, I'm just being me. I'm going to get away with, can I be me in this situation? Yeah. Because yeah. lots of people wouldn't. They'd just be like, no, but I've, <gasps> I've never felt like I, I could really. And, and it's crazy that you say that because... Um, because that is exactly what it's been like. And and over time, I've come to a slight realisation that it is okay to be myself. You can be bang average guy from Watford um, with crazy ambitions of being on Radio 1. And, and actually, you can just be yourself. I remember when I first started at Radio 1, the biggest mistake I think I, I made was thinking that all of a sudden I had to be Greg James or yeah. at the time Chris Moyles was someone I really looked up to. And... and you learn that actually they've already got all these people and that you're better just focusing on what you do. And um, and it's worked out okay for me. And it's, and, and it's worked out really well yeah, for you. Yeah, no, but it's 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 nice. It's 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 nice to be able to do a job where you can just be yourself and and people have sort of warmed to me. And I do feel like I started at Radio One and I really was just a, a kind of like a little bit part on a show. Right. And I feel like over time because I was never forced on people, it was like I was just that guy just hanging around. I think over time, people have sort of brought me through. And now I'm at this stage where I'm a little bit older and I feel, I actually, for the first time in my life, do feel like I belong on Radio 1, yeah. which is which is a nice feeling. It's also slightly weird timing because, of course, I mean, you came on the show, if if, if I remember rightly, because you've been on it for a long mm. time now, you were kind of Scott's mate. Yeah, well, that You was, were sort that, of introduced as Scott's mate and mm. it was... You, it was just like you say, you just kind of drip fed, as it were. Now you feel like you belong on Radio 1, which is great. And we're hearing all these rumours that Scott's on his way to Radio 2. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to stick around or are you going to go with him if he moves? I mean, because he's about a thousand same... years old now, Well, he isn't is. He, he is. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a slightly older gentleman, young at heart. You know, um, <laughs> He's a granddad, you know. He's... Well, look, the thing is, well, there's a couple of bits in that. So Scott, you know, when I was brought into Radio 1, the reason why they really wanted to keep saying, you know, this is Scott's mate, it's because, like, why else would I be there? It would be weird for people listening. And, and sometimes that can happen a lot with radio you know, that's and TV, the I Chelsea find, route, where it's... You? you know, that's the... Well, <laughs> that's the how they is, get their cars. But we genuinely were mates. Yeah. And, and I find that there's a lot of radio where people are just forced together and they have to pretend to be best friends. Yeah. And actually, me and Scott were and are best mates. So... Why shouldn't we be talking about that? And, and yes, he was Scott Mills. I was a fan of that show back in the day. And, and um, so when I came, when I first started doing stuff on Radio 1, that's right, I, I really was kind of there. And the reason was for being Scott's friend. And I, I, I kind of, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. But when you really look at what it is, it's just the truth of the scenario, which is, you know, we were having a lot of fun. We were best mates. We've been able to do all of this on the radio. And um, and I think over time, it's obviously changed, you know, quite a bit. I've learned a lot. Um, I feel like how people view me at Radio 1 might be slightly different to when I started. Yeah, of course. Um, but also, I've grown up, you know, like, 
I've I've got married. I've had a kid. And all of it has been during this time that I've been on Radio 1. So there has been a lot of changes. And I hope there will be lots of changes. And, and as you said, Scott, I mean, for me, Scott is arguably one of the top radio presenters in the world. Sure. So I've always felt I've, I've, I'm onto a good thing here because I think between us, we cover off a, lo a lot of different things. And I know what I stand for now on the show and I know what I do for the show. And equally, I know what Scott does for the show. And I know that, you know, we both bring a side to it, hopefully, that a lot of people really enjoy. Um, and yeah, I've, I've got no doubt at all when there's a time that, you know, Radio 1, um, you know, when we look at the next move, I've got no doubt at all that any radio station would want Scott. Yeah. Um, and the natural fit probably would be Radio 2. It um, makes sense. It's yeah. not like it's a great leap of faith, is it? It's like <laughs> I mean, you do see a lot of channel, people going it? that yeah. way. Um, but the truth is, we've we are so proud of what we do on on Radio One um, that really you can only have a proper chat about what that show would be on Radio Two, um, whether it, it would work for both of us. Um, really, you can only do that once you've got that as a proper option right. and right now we're on Radio 1 and that's kind of the best place for the show. My argument is always, you know, I love doing this show so much. Whatever keeps the show as big as it is, I think is a good move, you know. Great. Good. So if it moves you going. <laughs> that's, that's what I've taken from that, <laughs> rightly or wrongly. I just, I'm, I just want to keep doing it. I think we, I think you can't split, Scott, you can't split that out. But I think what me and Scott it genuinely more and more, I think, with the way radio's changed quite a lot, even in the time that I've been involved in it, um, I think what me and Scott have is something very genuine and very special. And it'd be such a shame for that to, like, I don't really want that to yeah. stop and yeah. change. And equally, people say to me, it's like, what do you want to do? And the truth is, I just want to, I want to keep working at the very highest level. Yeah. And this is it for the moment. Well, also, you shouldn't have to make excuses or apologies for really enjoying what you do <laughs> and liking who you work with. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of all right. I don't, at some you point, know. at some point, you've just got to settle down and just go like, this is, this is good. This is, I'm enjoying this and this yeah. is fun. And, and also, I feel like this is my place now. And, and we've both worked really hard to make the show what it is. And that doesn't happen overnight. That comes with time and yeah. it comes with people trusting it. And, um, I don't see why either of us should throw that away at the moment. Too much. For, for, for what? I don't know. Exactly. Look, I mean, there's, the lovely thing is, because you've done so much, there's so much we can discuss. Mm. But I've got to take you back to a famous moment. You know who I'm going to ask you about. It was <laughs> you and a very famous little Hollywood lady. Yeah. And I think it was one of your first kind of solo outings with a mm. mega star. And you took a real tangent. And for me, that was a real kind of landmark moment in the public's view of your career, I'm talking obviously, I'm gonna pronounce her name wrongly, Myla Kunis, yeah. Myla, how, how are you supposed to say it? Listen, I don't know, I'm not a film expert. Yeah. When, I, when I first turned up for that interview, I didn't really know anything about her. Um, and it was, it was such a weird time because I did that interview and then the very first thing I did was phone Scott afterwards and apologize because I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd screwed it up. And uh, it, it's, it's worked out. Cool. It's worked out all right. It's been, it, when it was viewed by like 10 million people within three yeah. months or something. Wasn't it? It was yeah, ridiculous. it was nuts. But Because you asked her to the Watford match with you and yeah. down the pub with you. You didn't really talk about her or her film or no. really any, any of that no, stuff. No, but again, for, for me, I'd never done one of those interviews before. And one of the biggest lessons from it was 
you know, as you were saying earlier, I think it just taught me that you can be yourself. And actually, I was really worried after I did that interview. I genuinely thought I'd screwed it up. I saw these American PR people in the background looking kind of angry. I'd sort of got told off at she one point about it. But she loved it. Yeah. And and the crazy thing is, since then, I've I've spoken to other people that have gone and interviewed her, and and she's asked about me. And oh. and it's it's a really odd. It was a really odd thing that happened, and it was crazy you know, how massive it just went and, you know, you're on Good Morning America and, and CNN and it was just a very weird time. I was kind of new at Radio 1. I'd sort of been in at Radio 1 for a little bit, but in a really small capacity. Yeah. And I went and did that interview and I think it was at that point where it, it did put a bit more of a spotlight and suddenly it provided a bit of an opportunity to then go and do some new stuff. And yeah. Well, that must have been on the, the back of that. I then got a TV show. The Channel 4 got, show, yeah. And, and so it's, it's just been really fun from there. And yeah, it goes back to what you're saying. You, you, these experiences, you can't always just plan. You can't plan for all of them. And you, I went and did that interview with Mila Kunis. And at the time, I regretted it. I look back now and it's probably one of the best things that could have happened to me. Yeah. So it just shows like, you, you've got to kind of trust yourself a little bit. And, exactly. And, and trust, God, we're getting deep, but trust fate because it did play out all right. Even it's, though at the time I was like, this is it, I'm off Radio 1 now. I mean, if you'd <laughs> known, this is, I guess this is the best way to put it. If you'd known that talking to Mila Kunis about Watford mm. was going to get you in the same space as Derek Akora, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> you'd have done it a hundred times out of yeah. hundred, wouldn't you? Yeah, so what was nice, I did the, that Mila Kunis interview and then Channel 4, they basically said, what, what show do you want to make? Of course they did. And, and that was, you know, my dream position was being able to potentially come up with a show. And, and uh, the premise of it, I thought, was, was brilliant. Uh, it was just me in a camping chair and we'd go and meet people. There used to be a show on Channel 4 called Bring Back, which I, okay. I kind of really liked the idea of. And uh, I just wanted to do something similar. And we did it, and we made this. We made this show. It was it was so bizarre. It went out, and um, yeah, it was kind of. I've never. It comes back to what I was saying about constantly feeling like you don't deserve to be doing the things that you're doing. I felt like that when that show was going out. It still didn't feel real. Yeah. And it was nuts, and it sort of. I remember watching it trending. The top four or five trends was just stuff from the show and just thinking this is this is insane like this is this doesn't happen i was watching it with my mates in a pub yeah and uh yeah it was just another great experience but it all came from the mila kunis thing so with all these kind of pinch yourself moments mm. of which there have been many i mean we'll come back to the palace and the stuff you've yeah, been doing yeah. with peter crouch in a moment because that's a phenomenon as well right now but you know you say you kind of sit back and, and don't really believe it is that because is that like a self-confidence thing? Is that because you don't really believe that you... Mm, yeah, I guess so. I guess, you know, when I... Not many people know, I, I, I did hospital radio. I did student radio. I loved radio from yeah. a very young age. And I really, you know, dreamed of being at Radio 1. I was a huge fan of Chris Moyles. Um, and I think when I got to Radio 1, I just still didn't believe that I was, I was there and... I don't, actually speaking to a lot of people, I find that a lot of people say the same thing, which is you, you don't feel like you deserve to be there. And I do think it's a self-confidence thing. But in the last year or two, I've learned that, I write so many ideas on my phone. I think a lot of people do this. And I've learned that actually the best thing to do is go and make those ideas happen. And don't feel that you can't do it for whatever reason. So I was stopping myself doing things to a certain extent because I felt like 
I couldn't be seen to be doing that because I was on Radio 1. Right. Or right. other BBC around you, you yeah, have to have or, a certain or code. Or just like other radio presenters will, will think I'm stepping out of my box or doing something I shouldn't. And, and I remember speaking to Greg James about this and he was, um, he was so encouraging of this idea that actually if you want to do something and you have a reason to do it, and it's for the right reasons, just go and do it. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, where this book came about was it was an idea that I had and I sat on it for ages and I just thought, actually, I'm just going to go and do it. So I made a couple of calls and, and tried to find the you know right people that I could link up with to, to make it happen. And then this is my attitude from now on, Andy. I just want to I want to make things happen. I want to have ideas drunk in the pub <laughs> and then I want to make them happen. Because why not? We, we don't live long enough for that not to be the case. Yeah. And I think Radio One have always been so supportive of of people like me being encouraged to come up with ideas, but actually we sit on a lot as well. We don't always follow them through, and I think that's that's my mission now is to just do stuff that I've wanted to do that's as, great. as much as I can because so many people would love to do that. Yeah, you know, and and we do limit ourselves, and I'm lucky that I can have the time and the space because of my job to be able to do it. I want to do it more. Well, it's great that you're also continuing to kind of think like that and continue to think about innovating because obviously you're in a lovely groove you know you've got this really great dynamic with Scott which everyone's listening to you've got the fantastic podcast you could just sit back and go that's more than enough you know I'm really happy with that but instead you're going I want to try this and I want to do that and I mean the cookbook it's not exactly a leap of faith is it we've seen you on Saturday Kitchen forever you <laughs> yeah. know you're a regular on there you obviously know your way around the kitchen yeah, and you like I'm not food a chef. This, is, this is the thing right and I don't what I feel with this, I don't need to pretend to be a chef. I've linked up with a chef to make sure that I'm not going to kill anyone with the recipes <laughs> in this book. But they were recipes that I wanted to make and we worked them up. And I, I'm really proud of this cookbook because so when I went to uni, I got given a cookbook as a gift from and my grand got it for me, my grand and my auntie. And I turned up at uni and I couldn't cook at all. And I, I just remember being in this kitchen, just I didn't have a clue. So for me, this feels like I've managed to go full circle with it. Right. Cooking's a passion of mine now, but I thought of this student cookbook idea and I just wanted to make something that I know I would have liked when I was going to university. And for me, this is better than my dissertation. This is, this is, <laughs> yeah. the, the, this is the real deal for me yeah. because it feels like I've completed the circle and I wish my gran was here to be able to see that I've got this student cookbook because um, I, I think she would have found it funny you know that you can go buy the student cookbook considering how crap <laughs> I, i've always been at, at cooking at uni and um what no, dish really would you have cooked for it. your gran from the from the book what would you what would have impressed her i wish she would have loved like well she was a, you know a typical irish lady so there's a recipe in there for an irish stew okay and it's dead simple um but i'd like to think she would have approved of it but i just i just think it's wicked because I turned up at uni and I couldn't cook and set a toaster on fire and um, and I did stupid stuff. And for me, it really does, it feels like completing the circle, this. It feels like I've got something now that my uni can be proud of. Yeah. And it's been fun reminiscing <laughs> on that. I had an amazing time at university. Where did you go? I went to Southampton Uni. Lovely, nice. And I think students have gone through a hard time recently and they've been screwed over with yeah. A-level results and... Yeah, it's been really um, tough. Yeah, and it's been horrendous. And I just really hope students can go to uni this year and still have the amazing experience that I had. Yeah. And that's really just what I wanted this book to represent. I just wanted I wanted a gift that you could buy students that was 
um, genuinely written by someone that one had gone to uni. Yeah. Um, but also had some stories to tell with it. I found that I, I looked at some other student cookbooks and they don't seem to be written by someone that's been in a university for the last 20 years. You see, the thing, the thing for me is you've written this student cookbook, which makes, obviously, I'm an ex-student of, you know, many decades since I graduated, but I can't really cook. Yeah. You know, and I love the idea of this. It's easy to cook. Yeah. And it looks good. That's the, yeah, that's yeah. the whole kind of Instagram thing, you know. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> you want food to look good too. Yeah, I just, listen, I just wanted to have a bit of fun with this. And and that's all it is. It's, um, I thought, do you know what? I'm really enjoying cooking at home. I want to do something. I want to make something. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to have a reason to tell stories from my time at uni. And uh, so I thought we'll just make this student cookbook. And in the kind of spirit of what I'm up to now, I'm just like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's, let's just go, let's, <laughs> let's, let's make it happen. But this is the trouble. This is, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you're on Radio 1, I'm supposed to be too old for Radio 1, and yet I still listen to it. Yeah. You know, you've done a student cookbook. I haven't been a student for decades, and yet I still want to use your cookbook yeah, to try to impress you. my missus. I appreciate that. You know that. what I mean? The Peter Crouch podcast, I mean, it's a football podcast, but it's basically lads in the pub having yeah. a great time. Yeah, that's and what I mean. That is literally bringing it. in some really cool that's, guests. That's it. You know, as a dad, I should probably be too old for that, but I'm not. Mm. You know, it's just see what I mean. You're, you're yeah, kind of yeah, you yeah. tap into lad culture isn't the right phrase because no, we're more it. more aware of ourselves these yeah. days. Yeah. You know, I remember listening to an episode. In fact, I think it was one of the most recent ones, which was a, a strong element of mental health. In fact, I yeah. think it was HRH yeah, yeah, was yeah. kind of champ championing it. And you'd have never have had that five years ago. No, and it's know. really important. And I think um, I, I am incredibly self-conscious sometimes. And um, uh, I do feel that the Crouchy podcast has been, and same with Radio One actually, has been a really good place for me to talk honestly about how I feel in the hope that other predominantly blokes probably um that's the market really for the pod isn't it yeah i just but i just think it's i think i think guys do need to see other guys talking about some of this stuff to to actually talk themselves and i think it is a particular problem with guys and and has been a problem however i think there's been amazing strides made forward in in encouraging people to talk and i'm finding more and more that the crouchy podcast the reason why because I was confused as to why that was doing so well. It was three of us in a pub. We get drunk. We talk football. We sort of talk about funny stuff going on in life. That's that's it. That's that's the beauty of it. But I think it started to stand for something a, a lot more. And I, I and I, I started getting these messages. Lots of people would would DM me saying that they've had a really hard time recently. And yeah. Some of them were really deep. What you know, stuff that they're telling me and trusting me with. They don't really know me. I don't really know them. But we're sort of bonding through the idea that they either listen to me on the radio or they listen to the Crouchy pod. Mm. And I found that the podcast was becoming a safe space for people to have a bit of a release, but realise that other people listening to it are also having a bit of a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what has become so lovely about this podcast. And I'm really proud that the other two lads as well and all all the guys involved in making it have allowed this podcast to be fun, but also a bit of a safe space. And we do read out messages from people that yes. have had a tricky time. And then, yes, when uh, when Prince William invited us to the palace... Which uh, is a sentence you'll never get bored of saying, because it's was nuts. insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, di- I, I know why they were doing it. And I, and I think it's because the podcast was the right place for them to talk about their Heads Up campaign yes. and... And then today, if I can be sat in the palace talking to the future king, 
and we're we're having a discussion about how we feel in certain situations yeah. and, and things that affect us it it shows that really it is from every part of our society from the top of the pile to you know just bang average me and i think uh, i think it made for an incredible podcast and i learned a lot from him about that and uh so yeah i do think it's become important i do think a lot of people trot out you know s stuff around mental health and it's not always for the right reasons right. but i do genuinely think that it's great that people are talking and i'm really pleased that the podcast genuinely represents that and i think radio one does a fantastic job of of um opening up discussions around mental health especially in young people yeah absolutely you know i like i dj a lot well not at the moment um but when i started djing a fair bit uh, through radio one so i was i was a resident dj before and then you start on radio one then you, it means you start djing in nightclubs all over the uk right, okay and you go to funny places and i learned about young farmers Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with Young Farmers, right? I've heard of the Young Farmers Association. Yeah. So I, I knew nothing about them. And I turned up in a farm in the middle of nowhere. And there was like 2,000 young people. Uh, and I was, I was DJing in, in, a, in like a cow shed. Okay. And it was Did you so, bust out the Wurzels? I mean, what so were you weird. thinking? Yeah, the Wurzels are like huge for them. Yeah. And, uh, but it taught me about this community of young people that I never knew existed. And there's thousands of them around the UK. And they suffer a lot, of, a lot of them suffer from, you know, working on their own isolation, right. huge issues that go along with that. And so I found that I had a really good opportunity and really want to start championing that a bit and championing young farmers a bit. And this is what I'm loving. I think what I'm trying to get around to is what I'm loving about Radio One and the Crouchy Pod is we have the best time. We have such a fun time. We get to do stupid stuff. But I've learned that I have a good opportunity to be able to promote you know, these types of conversations yeah. and encourage people to get in touch with me or whoever, but as long as people feel that they can talk. Um, and it's helping me in the process, like talking honestly to you and talking honestly to, to you know, other people, people get in touch with me, it genuinely helps me. Yeah. And I've, I've learned to be more confident in myself because the weird thing is I do, have, I do enjoy my job, but I have felt very unconfident in that scenario as well. Right. Right. Do you know, it's, it's really nice hearing you talk about this because not only have, as, as you've established is it such an important subject, but actually I think the main thing that's changed now, and this might be even as recently as the last few months, to be fair, is the lack of judgment these days. You know, people are able to hold up their hands and go, do you know what, I'm having a tough day today, yeah. or I'm having a tough week, or this month has been, you know, covered in darkness. And it doesn't immediately get a reaction from people go, oh, well, I better avoid them, there's something wrong. Because actually, it's the same for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And unless every now and again, like you've asserted, you see the occasional person who's looking for clicks and attention that is maybe exploiting a situation. But more often than not, you know, if someone's really having a challenging time, they can now see that actually, not only is that absolutely fine and normal, yeah. there's a whole load of help out there. Yeah, And there's yeah, a whole totally. load of people that want to talk, want to help, want to step up. And sometimes it is as simple as just sharing your yeah. having a rough one today. Yeah, and I think checking on mates, you know, it's having groups of mates and encouraging people to to talk to your mates and ask them how they are. And we had it with Prince William. Like, I had a really funny experience with all that. When we went to the palace and we're talking to, to him about it all, I was really aware that we're there kind of talking about his campaign. Mm -hmm. um, but then we all were a couple of pints in, in this conversation. 
And then I found that like we were having a genuine chat with him and you could see him sort of drop having to think too much around yeah, yeah. the party line or whatever it was that he was trying to focus on and just talk. And it was so nice to see. And um, look, I'm not encouraging everyone to go and get pissed to have these types of conversations, but you know, when you're <laughs> a lot a of people of... outside the palace with beers go, William, <laughs> just, yeah, just a word on Villa. Villa. But seriously, being a couple of pints in with Prince William, you realise that there are similarities to what he was experiencing and what I've felt some of the time and what I think other people feel. Right. Um, and maybe like, I don't want to say pressure, but you could see that, you know, he's got a lot going on. And it was really interesting seeing him just relax and have a laugh mm. with us. And uh, I haven't really talked about it, but I got, I got like, I got this letter off him a couple of weeks after that. And uh, he was just sort of thanking, you know, me and the boys for going to the podcast. He sent us each a letter. And um, so lovely what he says in it. And I, I just think what was special about that time at Kenston Palace was I think he genuinely enjoyed it. Mm. Like at, one, at one point, this lady stood up to say that he need, he's got to go on to his next appointment. God knows what that was. And he sort of just binned it off. And mm. I think he was having a good time. And I think... Like I'm sure he's got his own way of relaxing, um, but I think in that in that sort of two three hours that we were in the palace, I do think I saw a real side to him. Mm. And I've met him at Radio One, and uh, and it was a very different experience. I felt like you could have a pint with him, and you could genuinely see what he was about. Mm. And I really like him. And, yeah, and I, I, I genuinely genuinely saw a side to him where it's like you are you are a young lad as well yeah. you know and who hasn't had an easy time of it no public scrutiny not. from birth his poor mum died yeah you know and everybody knew about it and everyone wanted to claim ownership of grief on that you know it must have been i mean unthinkably hard to deal with but that's why i think people do have to at least have respect for what he's trying to do with this campaign around heads up because it's a it great because they've changed and the name of the fa cup yeah, yeah yeah the heads up fa cup but then yeah. wouldn't you if you were if you were prince william you would change the name of the FA totally. Cup if you could. Totally. Like, that's the power you have. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But he was president great. of the FA, isn't he? And he was so yeah. welcoming and he was so, you know, they'd sorted a load of drinks for us. Um, you know, it was decent. It was decent hospitality there. <laughs> you know, they kept topping us up and everything. It was, it was great. And, you know, at one point, it isn't in the podcast, but at one point, I desperately needed to go to the toilet. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a really odd experience because you know where... I get really distracted by it. If I need to go to the loo, I can't. Yeah, it's a regular thing for me. I have the bladder of a 12-year-old boy. It really annoys me, like (laughs) car journeys and everything. I can't wait. Anyway, um, so I really need the loo. But he's in front of me, and I didn't know how to stop things to kind of... But anyway, the conversation sort of reached a bit of a pause. And I was a couple of pints in. I just said it. I was like, we're um, are we carrying on for another couple of drinks? Um, if so, I'll just run, go for a quick piss. And uh, and he was, it, it was such a weird experience because all the people behind him, I don't think they've been in this situation before where someone's just going like, <laughs> to walk out. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah what, what, whatever. So anyway, I go, I leave. And at that point, I realised like, this is actually mad. You've just left, you've left him yeah. to go for a piss. Yeah. And uh, I was running around Kenston Palace trying to find a toilet. And eventually found one, and 
went, went, went to the loo, there was someone else in there as well. So then I started panicking. That think, <laughs> it was oh, her match. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sorry, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the toilet. Like, okay, right. Out so comes Big Phil. Oh, anyway, in a few yeah, minutes. So, <laughs> so um, and then I went back. And I, thought, I was there, I was so sorry, I was there, I was, I was using the toilet, I was thinking, this is mad, you've got the future king waiting upstairs. Yeah, and um, he's waiting on your bladder. I went, went back, and this is the classy bit about Kensington Palace, they'd filled my pint up and everything, it wow. was brilliant. Wow, that's the <laughs> ultimate mad. bar. Like, just the, possibly the, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just such a weird experience leaving him to, to go and have a piss. Just strangely liberating. <laughs> if you can do that, you can do anything. Yeah. And I regret what I wore. You see, they told me that we were going to have a few drinks with him. So I just turned up wearing what I would wear to the pub. And uh, I, I look back on that now and should have gone a bit smarter, you know. But again, that's you being you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you regret true. it now. That's but true. you seem to you seem to do things as you and then regret them, which is in itself <laughs> your own demon. Why don't you yeah. just own it? You did yeah, it. That's Good exactly for you. Yeah. And... and um, and no, it was great, and the podcast went everywhere, and and also just getting Prince William on a podcast. I think that was a yeah, you know, it was a good, it was a, it was an amazing opportunity, and and he said some amazing stories. He and, did. Um, so yeah, slam dunk, yeah. slam dunk. <laughs> I want to talk to you about fatherhood. Before I do, I need to remind you of something. There is a baby Ian. Baby Ian. Yeah, you you were trying to find the world's youngest yeah. Ian. Yeah. You you are going to start watching at some point quite soon the Baby Club. I've heard CBB. about this. Yes, there people is a message baby me. Ian. Yes, but he's in the opening song. Right. So I started getting tweets from people because yeah, on the Peter Crouch podcast, we've been saying that there aren't many Ians yeah. born anymore. Yeah. And um, yeah, someone said about this baby Ian. Apparently, yeah. there's a song as well. So they sing a song to this they little do. baby Ian. Yeah. Right. I need yeah. to find him. It's become a thing between me and my youngest. But we, <laughs> we've drawn because we find the the idea of baby Ian hilarious. Yeah. So we've turned him into an old man in a cartoon. Well, anyway. So, so when my little one was born, so my my little boy was born about four weeks ago now. Congratulations. And, um, you know, thank you. And you know where you're just a bit tired from it all and a bit over emotional. So he was born. And then I, I put on Twitter that, you know, thanks to the midwives. And I was just really proud. And then underneath, I, I put another tweet saying that the baby was called Troy Ian Bango Stark. Yeah. Right, which was just meant as a bit of a joke. It was Troy just is, a joke. Well, right. Troy is uh, Troy a Deeney. Watford footballer, yep. Troy Deeney. Yep. Ian was just because Crouchy dared me to tweet it. <laughs> um, and Bango was a name that we just made up on the podcast. Anyway, it's such a niche joke. So only if you listen to the podcast and have listened to that particular episode, would you understand I've what I've heard that episode. I so I tweeted it, yeah. it and I didn't think much about it. And then I got a call that afternoon from a mate going like, is you, have you really called your kid Troy? And um, and then I, I looked it up online and everyone was saying that my baby was, was called Troy in Bangor. So, so I got in loads of shit. It was in the papers I got in well, loads of trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, he's not really called Troy? No, his name's Charlie. I just thought it would be funny Have to Have you registered it. his name yet? Because it's not too late. That's true, yeah. You know. yeah. I quite like it. And then, do you know, the terrible thing was people were sending us gifts. And uh, I remember these biscuits arrived. These like really nice biscuits, and it said Troy Ian Bango Stark. Ah. You know, it's just people. You have to, to keep nice. those. You have to keep those forever. Um, They'll be disgusting in ten years. I but so much trouble about it. But uh, it was kind of Crouchy loved it. He thought it was the funniest thing. So yeah, it's um, it's been. It feels like it's been a really busy couple of months. You know, baby. Um, that exactly the time that we were having the baby, uh, the Prince William podcast went out. 
we had this mad experience where because we filmed that before lockdown, they agreed to let us do a Zoom call with yes, the prints like to, like, to catch yeah. up on, because the world changed a lot. So we had this mad experience where my baby was due any minute and we had Prince William on Zoom. And I had to explain to her, I had to kind of say, look, I'm really sorry, we might have to duck out. And yeah. even on the morning, it was looking like we, uh, I wasn't <laughs> going to be available for it. We had this strange situation where the palace was checking in to see wow. if if the baby was like, if there was any movement with it. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it's been a really funny time. And um, yeah, it's been mad. And I'm not sleeping much. And I feel like, you know, where you're overtired and you, and you just don't think straight. It's like, I'm because yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do the night shift with the feeding and trying to make my wife's life a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, you're right, maybe there is a lot going on. There is a lot going on and you have to give yourself a break. I mean, you know, as I've been a new dad a couple of times, you know, it might happen again. And, you know, it's one of those things where you have to be aware that firstly you get all this crazy emotion that you can't understand. I cry at adverts. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, I cried when he, when he was born, I, I burst into tears. Yeah. And um, I can't explain why that is, because I don't, I don't cry. I don't, but it's just pure emotion. Yeah, and it's a funny one, really, because I've got a, um, I've got a five-year-old girl as well. Yeah. But when when I had her, I felt like I was in a very different place. I was, you know, I still felt I was new at Radio One, right. even though I wasn't. Um, and but I didn't talk about her the same way that I talked about this baby. And I feel like I'm in a much more, um, I, I do feel like I'm in a different place. So. When Charlie was born, uh, I was you know, obviously super proud, but I, I kind of look back now and I shouldn't have worried so much about talking about my, my little girl as well. Because I just felt, I, I felt like a lot of my life, I think, it, through Radio 1, you are, you are talking about everything that goes on in your life, but you, you sort of allow everyone to have fun with it. Mm. And at the time when my little girl was born, because she was a, a bit of a surprise, if you, if you will, um, uh, when she was born, I didn't really want anyone taking the mick out of me being a dad. Okay. And I felt that everyone would. I felt like... Because you were quite young. Yeah, and I felt like I should have to declare it on Radio 1. And, and you do want to be honest with people listening because I find Radio 1 listeners are amazing in the sense that when they hear someone being honest, they really respond to it and rally mm. round. Mm. But I just feel like every bit of my life I was happy to be on air and it'd be fun and it but I took being a dad really seriously and I'd seen what had happened to other people like Fern when she was at Radio One and I, I don't know why I mean obviously I'm not Fern Cotton and and but I felt that um I felt I, I just I felt like I didn't want to talk about her as much. Right. And I, I don't know why I don't know why that is now looking back. Um well, you know, there's, that was five years ago. Yeah. And it's a different you. I suspect it's connected to how comfortable you feel in your skin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt, I felt, when, I felt when she was born, I just, that needed to be private. Yeah, and, that's your thing. Um, but then, you know what, me and my wife, we had, um, we had a, a bit of a tricky, a lot, of, a lot of potential parents go through hard times. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about, um, you, you know, parents that, struggle to conceive or, or go through horrendous times um, and me, me and my wife had a, a bit of an experience last year and and um, so anyway when Charlie was born I just I'm so proud and I'm so happy 
I'm so happy that he's born healthy and um but it's made me hyper aware about other people and, and a lot of young people as well who want to be parents and can't be parents and mm. and go through you know some some really horrible experiences and you think when you you know you actually expect as humans that you're going to be able to have a baby and it's all going to be plain sailing and the truth is a lot of the time it's not and there's you know as as I've become aware of it, it's, it's been um, I didn't realise like so many births end in miscarriage and all yeah, that that kind it's a of huge thing. thing. And, and it doesn't get spoken about very and much. It doesn't it doesn't get spoken yeah. about very much. And I, I think um, a lot of the conversations around people who have kids that never gets referred to. So people mm. have have a baby. In my case, we have little baby Charlie. And everyone says congratulations and it's lovely. But I, I've become hyper aware of how lucky I am to have the baby, but how unlucky people are and how hard it is for people with those experiences mm. when they go through that and yet people are so happy for you all the same and they they may have gone through that so i think it's always important to qualify it. it's like i'm super proud and super happy to have a baby but i i really do think about every parent that is um you know lost a baby or yeah. struggling on that front because it doesn't get spoken about enough because why would you want to put yourself through that and why would you want to be speaking about it absolutely do, do you know what i mean yes i do i do i've i've suffered quite late stage miscarriage in yeah. with in my relationship so I know exactly how it feels and I also know that it's it becomes an awkward subject for your mates to deal with because they don't quite know you know it's uh, this is a really macabre thing to discuss but you know if if you if you are if you are if you have a friend who has lost a baby you know once they've been a, a, alive then people see that as the greatest tragedy on the planet and as a parent I mean the idea is abhorrent I can't even I can't even let myself yeah. get there but you know the idea of of a baby that's almost almost here that doesn't quite make it yeah it can still absolutely rip your life apart yeah but but maybe not in the same mental uh capacity with your mates they don't necessarily connect that that can have almost as big an impact as yeah and i just think it's it's important that you know people out there realize that the, it, sadly it's incredibly common and and you know there are um, other people that have gone through it as well, and you're not alone. And mm. it can it, it it can it can feel like that. But anyway, I feel super lucky, super blessed that we've had little Charlie, and I, I'm trying my best to be a dad. Um, I used to think for for reasons I I never really quite understood that I couldn't be a dad and be on Radio One doing what I'm doing. And actually, you can. A lot of young people out there have kids, and I, I just want to I want to show. <laughs> I just want to do my best to be a dad and be proud and, and, and do it properly and still be able to have fun and everything like that that I get to do every day. So, yeah, it all feels, I feel knackered, but I feel really good. It's good knackered. I feel, yeah, yeah. I, feel, um, I feel like there's a lot of good, good things going on at the moment for me anyway. Good. I feel very lucky for that. Brilliant. Chris, thank you for talking to us. Thank you. It's yeah. been a real pleasure. It's been very, very revealing. I thought we were just yeah, going to chat, chat about some student we, we recipes. Should've, we should have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if it's uh, all gone that way. No, but for I'm me, glad I love it, has. it because I think it's it's so nice just being able to have opportunities to talk properly because I, I do think there's a bit of a misconception around not not like what I do for a job, but just that we all go through certain things and um, it's kind of what bonds us all as humans. I think it's important everyone realizes that. Good for you, mate. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> keep spreading the word and keep being you, for goodness sake. It's, it's done pretty well for you so far, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just mad. I'm finding this experience mad. This is a mad setup, isn't it? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we like it. But it's a good one. Brilliant. <laughs> Cheers, Chris, Andy. thank you very much. Appreciate thank you. it. The Andy J Podcast. It's Driven here on Talk Radio, the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And do you know what? I am just elated to be welcoming my next guest, a man who is a proper blast from my past. And I'm just, he's going to put a huge smile on my face. He is the legend that is Michael Underwood. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, Andy, do you know what? I was trying to work out how long it had been, and it's terrifying me because the numbers are not pleasant. <laughs> like, I, I honestly think, I think it's about 16 years ago. Oh, man. Because I, I think that's when you started off, like, you started to see ITV around 2004, so I'm, I'm sure that was about the right time. Oh, my days. Because I remember being there myself, but it was just amazing. And, yeah, what crazy, crazy days they were. <laughs> do you know what? I, I kind of, the crazy thing is that I still think about those days, and because, like, my, my time on children's ITV was fantastic, and I left this kind of weird sci-fi thing and then and then kind of fallen into the world of kids telly and I just loved it it was just brilliant 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 and there was yourself and Holly and Steve and you know it was just kind of it was a glorious time wasn't it yeah the funny thing is that people always say they go, oh but you know what children TV must be annoying you're always smiling all the time pretending to be happy and I kept I always said to people honestly we are having the time of our lives yeah. you know when the programs are on we're just having a laugh you know, we're in our 20s, we're in our early 20s, and we're just having fun. So we genuinely were enjoying ourselves. It wasn't sort of, it wasn't put on at all. It was just a good time. It was, it was a really good time. And the nice thing is as well, because obviously, like, you're the same as me. In fact, I think I replaced you on Children's ITV Continuity, didn't I? I think you were there and you then you did. left. Yeah, I stepped away to do a Saturday morning. That's right. You left for ministry, so I took over on the weekdays. Yeah. And, like, people used to say, but hang on, it was basically the same thing every afternoon, five, six afternoons a week, because sometimes we would do one on a Saturday as well. And yeah. I would be like, no, 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 you're not getting it. The crew would mix it up. So even though, you know, you're talking about, oh, here's another episode of the same thing, and then afterwards we'll yeah. do a, you know, competition or whatever, the crew would make it such a blast, wouldn't they? Exactly. It was just fun. It was just, you know, it was just loads of people having a good time, doing what we love doing, you know, being so fortunate to get a chance to do it in the first place. And then you're just mingling with people who are also great at their jobs. You're learning all the time. That's what I always remember. Just learn so much from people. And it, it was just about, you know, yeah, I don't want to use the word banter, Andy. Don't make me use the word banter. I won't, I won't go but, there. Don't worry. No, but, but you know what I'm saying. It was great. The chat was fun. <laughs> Tell you what, though, man, I had some massive shoes to fill. Like, you know, I was coming in replacing the legendary Michael Underwood. I'm like, well, come on. I mean, what am I supposed to do here? Do you know what I did, Michael? I, I, I made the mistake of watching like my first few shows on air like a couple of years ago. I haven't haven't looked at it for a couple of years, but a couple of years ago, I looked and I actually my first few goes on air. I think because I was trying so desperately not to be Michael Underwood, I talk with, like like with a real London accent. Yeah, yeah. What? Where's that come from? Oh, I don't know, but I, do you know what, though? I, if I watch, in fact, I remember way back watching my first link when I was back on CBBC, and some shocking, I mean, shocking. I mean, my favourite moment, and I'll never, ever forget this, it was in my first week. So, I was supposed to be introducing Biker Grove, uh, but I introduced Grange Hill instead. <laughs> so, Biker Grove goes on. And then during the programme, so during Biker Grove, my, my producer came over to me, she went, this uh, and Michael, don't, I was obviously gutted. And she's like, don't worry about it. You know, we all do this. You make the mistake once and you'll never do it again. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Anyway, Bike Grove finishes and I back rest Grange Hill. <laughs> like, gotta stay what is wrong with me? Got to stay consistent. You know, I'm surprised I even stayed in that job. I'm not even joking. They should just kick me out the door back then. But somehow they, I, I stuck to it. But yeah, 
don't you worry. Those, those first few times, it's always going to be tricky, right? <laughs> oh, mate, I mean, you know, and, and, and also people don't realise, you kind of, it is all live, you know, and, and yeah. I don't know what you were like, I'd only done pre-recorded stuff beforehand, so it's all live. You've suddenly got loads of voices in your ears. People kind of don't know that actually you've got more than just a count happening, which is how long you have to talk for. You've also got which camera on and where you're moving to, and, oh, Andy, you're not oh, yeah. right anymore, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, whoa, what? Huh? I know. There's so much stuff to take on board. It, it looks easy. It does look easy, which is why I think everyone thinks they can do it. Um, yeah. But I think when you're suddenly stood there in the studio with the cameras and the lights, and, you know, it suddenly becomes a bit of a thing, doesn't it? It's suddenly quite intimidating. And it takes a little while just to relax, to make it feel like it's normal, because it just isn't normal. It's yeah. a weird situation. And the crazy thing is, Michael, you know, you, you'll know this because you've had a long old career. As soon as you're absolutely in your comfort zone, as soon as you've got it, you can do it on autopilot and the crew and everything you're kind of best mates with everyone another gig comes up and you move on and it's all oh, yeah okay yeah. but hang on that was like wearing comfy slippers and i loved it but this other one is supposedly better for it's my career true. And, you know. and he also the tv sort of sort of leads you astray in the sense of it, it makes you feel like that that's how it's always going to be so yeah. there's going to be work every day it's going to be live tv there's going to be that constant buzz and actually you you very quickly realize and you know you did as well is that when you step away from that suddenly you you're, you're trying to get a job and you want that job and that job doesn't necessarily last or doesn't provide as much excitement or it's not on as often or it's only going to be for six or ten shows and it's going to stop and you've got to find the next job and suddenly you become this freelance presenter and it's a whole new world of vying for jobs against other people and it's um yeah that's why i think longevity is so important if you can if you can still be like yourself you know 16 years later here you are on talk radio it's immense because you've managed to keep your career going for a considerable amount of time and lots of people, unfortunately, have fallen by the wayside because this industry is quite unforgiving. Well, it's interesting you say that, Michael, because, you know, when you and I kind of, we started out very similarly at this very similar times. You did CBBC when I was doing other kind of random things, then the CITV yeah. thing obviously we merged and there was ministry and lots of other fun like that. And we knew... Because the nature of the game was back then, you know, kids presenters and youth presenters, you know, T4 and so on and so forth. We, we all knew each other. We all were at the same events. We we're all going to the same things. And I don't know if you felt the same, but after about three, four, five years, we had thinned out so much. So many people dropped out. So many people were like, actually, I can't handle the, the challenge of trying to find new work. I can't handle making a lot of money for a month and then nothing for four months or anything like that. They just dropped yeah. out. And we were kind of thinned yeah. out from, say, 40 of us to maybe eight do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. And it's interesting, you know, because you know, as you know, I've been now, I've sort of changed career. I've sort of turned my career over the last three years. Um, although I'm dipping my toe into presenting again, really, my main career now is teaching. And that came about for a number of reasons. I mean, firstly, obviously, I'm married to Angelica, and she's a very successful presenter. And um, we've got our own children now. So it's all of this. You have to sort of take things as they come. And it's a bit like, well, we can't both be doing stuff. And my career was naturally, you know, the phone wasn't ringing out often. And you sort of have to make those decisions about how, okay, we'll, we'll let one person's career fly, someone's got to be around for the children, and that my career is not particularly bristling away at the moment. So it's about making that step, and it's not easy. It took me a while to get my head around it, yeah, sort of make that move, because it's difficult, because, you know, there's a sense of failure a little bit. You know, when you've been doing it for 20 years, and then suddenly you're like going, well, I thought this is what I'd be doing, but maybe, you know, I've got to be realistic. And so it's, but actually it turned out to be the best thing ever for me. I mean, I got my degree in teaching way back, way long before television. So I was, I always had that. So I always knew I could do that. Um, so it, just to step back into it, just reminded me about A, how much I enjoyed that. B, how rewarding it is. Because you know what? TV is brilliant. It is. 
but it also can be rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah. Like any job, you know, any job's going to have its highs and lows. I know if you're not in TV, you think TV is the best thing ever and must be amazing. But no, you know what? It's, it still has its highs and lows and it wasn't necessarily as rewarding for me. And actually doing teaching is so much more rewarding and just you just feel better and you're not second guessing yourself all the time. And you're not looking over your shoulder or I'm not watching the TV thinking, oh, why am I not doing that job? Why is that person doing that job? You know, all those thoughts. Yeah. So I think just for my own mental health, it was great to just step away from it and go, you know what? I'm going to take control of my career and my life. I'm not going to let this business try and dictate the path I take because, you know, it's just not necessarily the best thing. So, yeah, it was a great decision and it's been amazing. And so here I am chatting to you on the radio now about teaching. I love it. I love it. Well, we've got so much to talk about about teaching, Michael, but I just feel I have to say this. You know, when I heard that you were stepping away and you were going to become a teacher, I was genuinely really surprised because from my perspective, I've always looked on you not only as a terrific presenter but also a very very successful one and I've seen the jobs you've done and the opportunities you've had and I've always just assumed that you're only a step away from that massive gig because because you are that good mate so to hear that you kind of moved on to teaching and as a dad myself I completely get and respect your opinions and, and why you've done it I've got several friends who are performers actors that no longer act because they want to make sure there is a steady income so that their partner can go on and do their thing just like you've done with Angelica because even, yeah, even though, that, you know, the world, certainly in the UK, everybody knows Michael Underwood, everyone knows Angelica Bell. But we don't necessarily always get to see you on the telly because, as you pointed out, there are long periods of time where actually there isn't any work right now. And you're so right. right. You need to have that. There are bills to pay. There are mouths to feed. There are little clothes to buy. There are toys that need repurposing, you know, and you have to be able to know that you can look yourself in the mirror and go, I can cover this. Yeah, and the weird thing is as well is that actually sometimes when you make those transitions or those changes, other things fall into place. I mean, weirdly, I've had, I have I have phone calls in the last few months about people going, oh, we didn't know you were into teaching. Oh, we've got this idea for an education thing and would you be interested in presenting this? So it sort of opens up different branches, different angles. Brilliant. Um, so, you know, it's great. It's just, I think I'm happy. What you've got to be is happy, I think, at the end of the day. You've got to be happy. And I think I got to a point, perhaps, where I think one of the, the last presenting jobs I did on mainstream television a couple of years back, I didn't particularly enjoy it that much. And I think that, for me, was the sign where I thought, you know what, I think I need to take some time out. Yeah. I need to just step away from it a bit and just clear my head and sort out what it is I want to do and what, or what I want the future to be. And it's just, as I say, it was tricky. And I think anybody going through any transition with their career, not intelligent, but in any business, any job where you just feel like you're, you know, you're in your 40s and you want to make a change or should you make a change, I think go for it. You know, life is short. You want to be happy. You want to have your own mental health at the top of your priority list. And I think sometimes making that change is one of the best things you can do. A hundred percent, mate. And actually, if you don't mind me saying, I think you've made the change at a very clever time for the simple reason that you had done enough grown-up telly. You know, you, you, obviously, we all know our foundations are in kids' TV, but you've done lots and lots of grown-up telly, just enough so that the kids you're teaching don't remember you as the kid, you know, as, as the kids' TV <laughs> teacher. Do you know what I mean? If the kids TV presenter, you're like, it's not like, oh, sir, we saw you getting slimed because they can't have done because you were doing grown-up telly when they were like, But young. Andy, I've got YouTube is the problem for me. <laughs> so you, <laughs> that's brilliant, so I, I, That's you know, brilliant. As soon as they hear junk, because obviously it's, you know, they find out. They find out. They do from because often, and this is the awkward <laughs> thing, their parents know me from growing up watching me. Yeah, <laughs> so that's your problem. <laughs> 
So yeah. next thing you know, they're, they're saying, oh, we saw you on YouTube. We watched you doing Jungle Run. And so all of a sudden you're like, okay, I thought I was going to have some anonymity here, but clearly, yeah. no, there's Grundled off the telly. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, parents' evenings now take so much longer. You've got to stop for selfies. Oh, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's true. They'll be like, oh, it's so funny sort of seeing you. I remember when I used to rush home from school to watch Jungle Run. <laughs> I'm like, you're making me feel so old. I can't even bear it. Too <laughs> much. It's too much. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. And do and you know what? The other thing is huge credit to you for going into teaching because I'm not smart enough to do that. You know, as a dad, I now realise, you know, my, my eldest, he's seven now. And, and, and when I say seven, he's only seven, right? Some of the homework that he brings home, I'm like, yeah, your mummy's really good at that. That's, uh, that'll, be, that'll be her expertise. <laughs> I'll go and get the football. You are not alone. You are not alone, Andy. This is a big deal. It's a big thing. Um, there was a, a report in fact, that I was involved in where that's all come out. And it's been talking, we focused on homework, really. We were just looking at the, the impact that homework has on families, on parents, and, and how it sort of can be quite a negative impact at times because they get a bit confused about what they're doing and they're not quite across it, especially with math. Weirdly, right? Math came out like 55% of parents said that they, they struggled when it came to helping their children with their math and actually sometimes got it wrong and sometimes just completely led in the wrong direction. And I was just like, whoa. But I get it as a parent. And as you just said, I totally get that because things have changed from when we were growing up. You know, we're talking about now loads of things. We're talking about chunking, partitioning, bar models. I'm like, you know, if you don't know about that, you're not going to have a clue because we weren't taught that exactly. 10, 20, 30 years ago. Well, this is all a new thing. Similarly, if we were, Michael, it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> you know. it, there you go. So it's about so it's about really refreshing it and understanding where you can go to do that, I think. So, um, you know, that's why I was teaming up with White Rose Math to talk about the fact that they've got those free resources available online. So if parents do get to a point where they're like, I have no idea how to multiply fractions, what's going on? Yes. So you can be like, well, go to this website, you can download this resource and you can learn about it really quickly and then you'll feel confident and then you can sort of imbue that confidence into your children and help them with their Support. So it's almost supporting parents to support their children. And those resources, those free resources, are out there. Do you know, I really like the sound of this, Michael, because I have memories. I remember finding out when I was a, when I was a, a wee thing, I used to play this game on the Mega Drive, the Sega Mega Drive. And, I, you know, if my dad would get home, I'd try and play it with him. But he was never very good at it. And I remember one night getting up, you know, really late, like 9 p.m. or something, for, for whatever reason. And I found him in the little computer space practising. And I was like, I can remember just kind of going back to bed, just being so chuffed that dad was trying to get good at this game so we could play better together, you know? And this is the clever yeah. version of that. This is that, look, put a bit of time in. You want your kids, I mean, you just do, don't you? You want your kids, especially when they're little, to think of you as that superhero. And you don't want your kids yeah. to go, uh, so a quarter plus a quarter is what? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, exactly. You know. Exactly. And actually, do you know what, as well? You can be part of it, so don't... Don't even try and hide it from them. What's really nice is to learn with them and make it a thing. Be like, do you know what? You know, Daddy isn't sure about that one either, but why don't we go and find out together? And then you go onto this site, you check out what the White Rose Bath professionals are doing, download those free resources, and you sort of go, oh, okay, now I get it now. Yeah, that's right, so let's work together. So you're sort of learning it with them. Okay. And that's a nice way to do with it. So then you don't have to feel any embarrassment of not knowing it because you're actually just embracing it and you're learning with them. And, you know what, and that can is, actually really help. This is so nicely timed as well, Michael, because uh, I, I, like so many other parents out there, have obviously been the old homeschooling parent over lockdown 
You know, you've, right. you've had the schools kind of giving you resources. We've all gone onto the various different Google spaces and whatnot and had to help our kids learn. So we're now kind of getting used to learning together. So that's actually a really great tool because there's that language of, okay, parent will learn with kid now is already there now, for, I would imagine, for most of us because we've been doing it for, you know, the whole of 2020, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, this is it. And I think that's why this report was so interesting because obviously it's taking into account the impact that that has. Because all of a sudden, it's one thing helping your child once a week with a bit of homework to suddenly becoming the teacher for three months, you know, and trying to guide them through it. You know, that's not what, as parents, we signed up for. You know, that's why we send them to school. Um, And so it was very eye-opening, I think. And um, that's why it's always good to know where you can go to get support so that you do feel like you're doing the best you possibly can because it was such an unusual situation. Hopefully that never will happen again in, you know, for a very, very long time. And it caught everyone off guard. Mm. But sometimes it's just knowing what you can do and how you can support yourself to then support your children. So this is, I just want to make sure I get this right though, Michael, because certainly maths yes. and I, we are not natural bedfellows. We never have been. And, you know, I'm aware, eldest is seven, so I've, I've got a bit of time before it gets really hard, but it's already a bit complicated. So is it White Rose Maths, what is it, dot .com? Where do, I, where do I go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's whiterosemaths.com. And what's great is that they do from early years all the way up to year nine, so, you know, up to the age of 13. So it yes. covers a lot of maths resources. There's loads on there. I mean, I could definitely recommend they have things that are called parent workbooks, which you can download for free. And they're basically just like mini assessments. They're really good, and they're for different areas. You can look at fractions, you can look at time or shape, and just it's like a little assessment for you and your children. It just means you get to understand it, and they get to understand it, and it just simplifies it so much. It just takes that stress away from everything. I think you've got to do it. I mean, I, I'm up for it. I'm definitely going to be doing it myself. And, you know, one of the things that got me, Michael, was reading that, what is it, 43% of kids say they're more likely to go online for help than ask mum and dad. Well, yeah. I don't want to be yeah. in that house. I want to be, no, you can no. still come to me. You know, you want yeah, to be able exactly. to have the knowledge. Get the answers. Yeah. No, completely. It's about, and, you know, and learning with them. Just make it enjoyable. Because the problem with maths is it can feel a bit of a mountain to climb. But you go support them and go through it with them. And just sit down for just for a little bit and do it with them. And break it up as well. Don't do it in massive chunks. Yeah. You know, do it for 10 or 15 minutes and let them go for a run in the garden or do something they want, really want to go and do. And then bring them back in or spread it over. Try to spread it over a weekend if you can rather than sort of rushing on a Sunday night. Because all of those things just sort of give it a negative feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If you can somehow make yeah. it fun rather than let's just get it out of the way so we can enjoy ourselves. No, right, you know? exactly. Because <laughs> that's such a common phrase. Let's get it out of the way <laughs> so we can then have fun. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's not the right message, is it? <laughs> no, and tell me, I, I've done it too. I've been the parent that's been there on the Sunday night going, oh, we didn't do your math homework. Get, 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 get that done. Get that done. You know, you're doing that. I get, I've been there. I do it. It still happens. But, you know, <laughs> there's things you can do to try and ease the pressure off yourself and it will be beneficial, I promise. Mate, I bet you're a brilliant teacher. Like just listening to you now and knowing about your incredible communication skills, I bet you, I bet you light up that classroom. I do love it. I do love it. I'll be honest with you. It's brilliant. It's it's just it's great fun. It's there's nothing better than sort of teaching children something and then sort of seeing them take it on board and understand it and then come back to you and have a conversation with you. It's just it's, it's brilliant. So yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, you're still, it's basically, you're performing all day, right? You still have your audience, as it were. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly it. I'm getting my fix. I'm getting my fix of presenting by just doing it in front of a class of children, which actually is more terrifying than anything because they're so brutally honest. 
you know what I mean? You can't get away with anything in front of children. They'll just pick you up on everything. So yeah, it's a, it's a perfect sort of forum, if you like, for uh, continuing to improve my presenting skills. Well, I love that. But of course, we can still hear you on, on a Saturday and Sunday morning over on Virgin Radio Groove. So you still have that fill as well, though, Michael. I mean, that's important to oh, keep that going. Yeah, I do love my music. I do love my music. And um, what's great about um, that particular station is that we play everything from like the 70s all the way through to right now. So it's a fantastic mix. You get genuine variety. So, uh, yeah, I love that. Virgin Radio Groove, is, uh, it's a, it feels like a natural home for me on the weekends, but it's lots of fun. Michael, listen, I'm, I'm excited for the kids in your classroom. I'm buzzing about the fact that you're now going to make me a better home teacher as well, thanks to this online course. So, I mean, and it's just lovely to connect with you again. I've really, really appreciated your time, man. Oh, it's been brilliant, Andy. Do you know what? It's so good. Keep up the good work, and uh, hopefully we'll speak again in not, not in 16 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put, in a, put something in the calendar now for like a week. Yeah. I'm checking in in a week do saying it. hello. Let's All do right, it. Buddy. Look at yourself, man. <laughs> Thank care. you so much. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm so pleased to welcome to the show a man whose career I have been following since, well, I'll be honest with you, since a very drunken night in London. Maybe, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, something like that. I'm thrilled to be able to welcome, he's a visual effects supervisor, he's a whiz kid, but better than that, he's now a feature film director. It's Gavin Rothery. How are you doing, Gavin? All the better for hearing that I'm a whiz kid. Thank you, that's it. (laughs) I have... I'm fully expecting, Gavin, for you to have no memory of this whatsoever. But for some reason, this has stayed in my mind since, right, you and I met at the Phoenix in London. Oh, dear. There's a lot about the Phoenix I don't remember. (laughs) It was, I mean, I I can recall because every night at the Phoenix for me was was a heavy night. So it it was the small hours of the morning. And for some reason, we were both at the bar and we got chatting. And at the time, I was trying to make a movie and I had some funding with some money from Russia and and we got chatting and you told me that you'd worked on Moon. And I was like, holy moly, Moon is like one of the greatest films in the world and a huge part of that is because of the special effects. And you were like, well, that's me. And then we got talking and I think you gave me your card. You told me I had to follow you on Twitter, which I did immediately, uh, which which is brilliant. (laughs) It was was one of those nights. I'm loving that this is all coming back to you. Uh, And the other thing you said to me because I was talking to you about what you wanted to do, et cetera, because I was kind of saying, well, after Moon, surely you're now going to go on and do all these other kind of super films with VFX. And you said, absolutely not. I want to be a director and I've got an idea. And you shared with me a very rough outline for a plot. And I believe, if my hazy, drunken memory is correct, that is Archive, which I saw last night, and it's brilliant. Well done. Awesome, thank you. Wow, that's... uh... (laughs) Quite the uh, quite the intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those, isn't it? But I, I like genuinely, I've been obviously since that kind of random night in the Phoenix. I've been following you. I've been seeing what you've been doing online because you're very you're you're brilliant on Twitter. I disappear on there. In fact, I, I've kind of removed my account a long time ago, and now I only look from time to time. But you're on there all the time, all day, every day. So I've been following your journey, and your kind of conversation with me has stayed with me about how you had this desire, you were going to make this movie, and I remember just believing you at the time because you know what happens in the Phoenix. There's a lot of chat. <laughs> yeah, ninety nine percent of it is. <clears throat> just air but i believe yeah you, air and you know? booze <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah vapors and i believed you you had this absolute conviction that this was going to happen and then i think i remember 
I was, you put out a short, I think it was called The Last Man, which I thought was brilliant. And I was like, this is really, really good. And I, but, but it didn't strike a chord with what, with the plot you'd shared with me. I was like, I don't think this is what he was talking about. And so for then, for then, for Archive to get on my radar and for, for it to land the way it has. Firstly, I have to tell you, I think Archive is brilliant and I want to talk all about it. But I just wanted to share this memory with you because I know we don't know each other. We've had one drunken conversation, but I'm so impressed, mate. Well done. Hey, look, if we had that drunk a conversation in Phoenix at the bar, we're basically best mates. That's how the Phoenix works. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You can't get in yeah. there without, without being a half-decent person. I mean, I don't quite know how I blag my way in, but, you know, everyone else in there is lovely, and it's such a kind of warm <clears throat> kind of spiritual space. And Well, funnily enough, like Benedict Wong, who plays um, Overmyers in Moon, uh, we met him in the Phoenix, met Matt Berry in the Phoenix, again in Moon. Brilliant. You know, always, yeah. Uh, the Phoenix was a, an important meeting place. Wow. I love that. So I'm so glad that, that we share that connection now. Because I have, I think I told you this in the Phoenix as well, I have a massive lithogram of Moon signed by Duncan on my wall because I love it that much. You know, I just think it's that good cool. movie. You know, and also the design for the posters, like absolute killer, isn't it? It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, because they did a good job, yeah. <laughs> they did a good job. It's very, very cool. Uh, so that's, I think that's how we got chatting. I was, I was just kind of mentioning how cool the poster was, and you were like, I was involved in that, and that's, there it was. Then it folded from there. Which is brilliant. Drunken boasting, because that's all I do in life is work all the time. <laughs> It's brilliant, though. I mean, I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. I mean, the great thing is, though, Gavin, that, you know, bearing in mind, this is like a decade ago. I can't remember the exact timelines because I'm ancient now and, you know, time is all blurring. And you know what it's like when you become a dad, you just time takes on a completely different meaning. So I can't remember when it was. I just know it was like a decade ago, around about that. Yeah. And yeah, that sounds about right. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is, because one of the things that I talk to everyone that comes on this show is about drive, ambition, determination. What is it that sets you apart from others? What is it that keeps you going? And actually, let's call it 10 years. You've had a 10-year full circle to get to here, and to here is amazing, because you told me in a drunken bar, I'm going to do it, and this idea is brilliant, and I'm going to make it happen. Now, for people that don't understand how movies work... With your credentials and with your CV, you could go out and direct someone else's movie script much faster than your own. You could go out there, yeah. you could get attached to a script, and it would be and it would fly. It, you know, you could have done that in say two, three years' time, based on Moon and other things you've been involved with, and and the advertising background, etc. You could have just done that, but you chose to be single-minded and deliver your vision, your script, written and directed by. That was really important to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I turned down quite a lot of stuff. <clears throat> I turned down all kinds of stuff that was that was coming in, and when I was doing that, I was, you know, I'd always have that conversation with myself, and I'd be like, "Have I just ruined my life here <laughs> by you know turning down this film?" But honestly, like you know, I worked on Moon for like twenty two months, and it it I was a real labor of love for like me and Duncan working on Moon. It was like it was everything when we were making it, yeah. and you know, you can you can see that in the film. I mean. I, you know, there's, it's a, a film born of that kind of energy. And when Moon, when we finish Moon, you know, you don't know if, if people are going to react to it or not or if they like it. But one thing that I did know is that we'd worked as hard as we could on it. And, mm. you know, we, we tried as hard as we could. So for what it's worth, you know, we could defend the decisions we'd made. And we knew why we'd done what we'd done. And so ultimately, if people liked it or not, that was up to them to decide. But we couldn't have done any, any more. We couldn't have worked any harder. And we were... Trying as you know, we were 
being very careful about the decisions we made. So when people responded to Moon favorably, it was a real validation for us because, you know, it, it was a validation for the hard work that we put in. So <clears throat> it kind of framed me in that if I was going to continue doing film work, I needed to have that kind of vibe in the work because I had a whole other, I had like a whole other career working in the games industry as a concept artist. Yeah. So, you know, I, actually that will be a thing to anybody wanting to get into directing out there. Um, the, the big kind of secret to it really, as far as I've found out, is to have two jobs <laughs> and to have another job that can carry you through whilst you're figuring out, working out how to be a director because, you know, you, you're going to need to be able to keep your bills paid whilst yeah. you're doing everything else. Yeah, for sure. So it was that energy, really, that kind of carried me through. So when I was getting these scripts through, that you know, I really appreciate being considered and I appreciate scripts being sent through, but, you know, I had to have that, that energy about them to, to be able to fully commit to them. Because when I, when I work on something, I have to kind of put everything into it. And so the logical, the logical way to approach that was to, you know, do my own film, try and, try and focus my own energies into a point as, around something that I had, like, complete belief in, really. And that, I mean, that really is testament to, to your tenacity as well, because, you know, you must have known, because, you know, anyone that kind of is in and around movies and television and whatnot, we, we have a sense of what we think is decent, you know, and sometimes you can tell from the page, this has got something. So you must have known yeah. when you finished, however many drafts you did on Archive, however many it was, when you were happy with the final draft, you must have known this is gold. This isn't just, not just the ideas, because I know how people like you think, you, you see the page as well don't you it's not just the script it's not just the dialogue it's not just the blocking and the movies yeah. because it's a sci-fi because it's it's such a visual visceral experience i imagine you've also got kind of complementary drawings and sketches and and kind of examples of of how certain shots would look yeah i'm like designing as i'm writing basically so i mean we only did yeah i did two drafts on archive i mean it was the first thing i've written as well i've not you know i've not written the script before but yeah it was only two drafts i mean the ideas were, you know, they were they were all fully formed when they got onto the page. I spent a long time thinking about it, though. You know, it's these ideas bounce around inside your head, and um, they don't they don't go anywhere until you write them down. And I tried not to write archive. I spent a few years trying to work with other writers. It's quite a painful process. It took a really long time, and I just wasn't getting what I wanted. But I spent such a long time. My, my kind of original deal was. You know, I'm not a writer and I've never been a writer and it's a whole separate field of art than what I've done so far. And I already do a lot of different types, a lot of different things. I do, you know, concept art, graphic design, VFX. Um, I do a lot of different types of um, art. And so I didn't want to presume I could just kind of like stroll into a whole new field when there are people that all they do is this one thing and they've like mastered it. So my kind of deal was, I know what I want the story to be. I'll sit down and explain it to a writer and they can give me a script. And it just wasn't happening. I just wasn't getting what I needed. But I'd spent literally years working up um, documents to be able to hand over in meetings, which were outlining what I what I wanted the story to be. And I was basically, I didn't realize, but I was basically writing it myself. Mm. So after spending about like four and a half years of just waiting and waiting and waiting, um, I ended up just taking hold of it myself, just to push it forwards. And that was the main reason it took such a long time to get this thing made, was I was trying to team up with other writers, and it just wasn't working out. I mean, real life gets in the way. Like, I was working with one writer, and she ended up becoming pregnant, and I had to wait for a whole, I had to pause for, like, an entire year 
<laughs> you know, things like that. So yeah. these kind of things happen, and the and the the it all becomes part of the process. But you know, it's just what it is. I worked with one writer. Um, he took half the money up front as an advance um, and disappeared after a year. He spent a year having having lunches in pubs on the company budget, and then he, he never delivered one written word. He just disappeared. Oh man. Um, things like that. You know. Things happen. It's yeah. not a smooth process. But what he did do is it kind of gave me the resolve to, you know, get my own license and file draft, get in there, get it written and get it done. And that. so, you know, here you go two drafts later, I'm a, I'm a movie writer. That's amazing. Man. Kind of kind of weird, but, you know, honestly, you just got to get stuff done, haven't you? So how did it feel? Because, like, I had a hairs on the back of my neck moment last night when I put the film on. Because the very first thing you see, before we get to a single shot of yours, the very first thing we see is that incredibly iconic Universal logo. I mean, you must just have been like... I haven't seen that yet. Oh. I haven't seen a version of it with the Universal logo on. Oh, mate, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to that. It's like, this, I, I mean, this is real. Yeah. You know, this is the real... This isn't just kind of some <laughs> guy with a few mates and a camcorder. This is like a, wow, you've made a... And it's a great... It's really good. But yeah, I mean, how does it feel? How does it feel to have... You're you're there, man. You're going to be able to see your work, your labour of love, your ideas on every cinema in the UK when they're open. You know, you're going to well, be able to honestly, go to the big though, screens. I mean, oh. it feels it doesn't feel any different than honestly. Look, 2020 has been. Uh, I'm just really happy that I got the film made. I mean, we finished it in February 2020, and we didn't realise lockdown was coming at the time, but we just squeaked in like, you know, we were the last helicopter out of Hanoi, basically getting a film finished before everything shut down. So, you know, I missed out on that. We were all set to go over South by Southwest and debut there in March, and right. that whole thing got cancelled, you know. Um, I've just been at home, like, this entire year. Oh, all okay. the festival stuff, all the festival stuff been on pause. I kind of hold a big joke with my girlfriend who's, like, just, like, every day just saying, like, has my life changed yet? Have I done it? Have I, have I you know, am I a film yeah. director now? So I don't feel like one. I'm still, still at home, just as I always was, like, chipping away on projects. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's super cool. I mean, just having it out there is just awesome. Having being able to, having people being able to just, you know, experience it is just super cool. And, you know, I'm really, really delighted that we actually got a global release as well. I mean, it's coming out in all territories in the world, which is, I mean, what else can you ask for, really? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look. Although it, it does mean I get moaned at a lot on Twitter with people asking me when it's coming out here and there and not having the answers. That's a little bit frustrating, but, you I know. Mean, you know, those are first world movie director problems that you deserve. They very much are. Exactly. You know, they very you, much are. Yeah. You can have those and you should enjoy them and bask in them, mate. I think it's brilliant. Just just because I fear giving out spoilers, can you give our listeners a, a, a quick summary of, of what the movie's about? Because I, I can't endorse it enough. I think it was brilliant. I really, really loved it. Yeah, it's about a man who is a robotics engineer who is tasked with creating uh, a true AI human equivalent machine. And he skews his research to try and bring his recently deceased wife back from beyond the grave. Boom. I mean, just hearing that, I'm like, oh, I mean, I want to watch it again now. You've got me re-hooked. I've got to say that <laughs> your actors went above and beyond for you as well, didn't they? Stacey Martin, of course. Oh, man. Oh, she, I mean, you... Like, as a heavy VFX film, because, of course, it's a sci-fi, you know, yeah. you kind of look at it and you kind of assume as you're watching it, wow, you know, the robotic effects are amazing, until you follow you on Twitter and realise that Stacey Martin, bless her, for huge chunks of time, was 
wearing this incredible kind of robo suit where she could barely breathe and couldn't breathe. <laughs> you know? Sorry, Stacey. If you're listening, Stacey, I'm really sorry, but thank you so much. <laughs> the results are she's a trooper. incredible, man. Yeah. But I did, I did something to myself. Crikey, she's, she's really gone above and beyond, hasn't she? She suffered a lot, to be honest. I mean, that, that makeup was four and a half hours in and two and a half hours out. And she was like, she was in a stinky mood when she got on set. But the cool <laughs> thing was, like being a professional, she's just using that energy to drive the performance. Yeah. So, you know, she was freaking people out on the set, though, because she had, um, you know, there's a lot of prosthetics on her face. And so she was she was quite restricted. And, you know, when she was when she was doing all of her um, emoting and, and proper proper human style behavior, it was kind of damaging the prosthetics. So she could only move so much and they'd kind of break and split. Wow. So when she wasn't on screen, um, on camera, rather, when she wasn't being filmed, she would just let her face fall blank so that she wasn't wearing out the prosthetics, which meant that all the downtime between setups, she was just this kind of like really scary, scary robo woman with like totally blank expression. She was really freaking people out. It was awesome. Wow. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a sub brand in itself, isn't there? The kind of the spin off. <laughs> Psycho Stacey. Yeah, she's right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, it is an incredible film. You know, it, it Wherever you are in the world, you're going to be able to see it on a big screen when big screens are open. It's also, there's going to be ways to download it as well, isn't there, Gav? So, you know, there's lots of, there's no reason to miss this movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll second that. Everyone should either get on stream and watch it immediately. It's got everything. It's got cool cars, handsome robot engineers. It's got, it's got robots. It's got Japan. It's got everything. It's got red alert emergency sequences. It's got drop ships. It's got people pulling guns. It's got cyborgs. It's got everything. It's got everything you want. It looks beautiful as well. Not only is it thrilling. And Thank you. Twists and turns are plenty. I mean, I'm good at spotting twists. I didn't spot this one. I knew that Bruce Willis was dead in Sixth Sense, 10 minutes into the film. I didn't spot what was coming in this, which is a reason, actually, I'm going to go back and rewatch it because I think it will take on a completely new meaning now I know the twist, which is even more exciting. You know. Well, it was designed. it was designed to be... Um, a film. I, I love things that you can get value out of more than one watch from. And the film was designed to be a different film on the second watch. Um, I was kind of trying to make two films at once. It depends if you, if you, especially if you're somebody who's into um, things like metaphysical imagery and stuff, which I know might sound a little bit highfalutin, but if you are into that kind of stuff, hopefully on the second watch there'll be a lot of a lot of stuff in there for you. Yeah. I can't wait, actually. I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing. Gavin, I just want to say something to you, and, and, then, and then I have one last question, because I know you're doing a day of chats today, so, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Firstly, you know, you've been saying to your girlfriend, and you know, have I made it yet, etc., and lockdown has curtailed that feeling of, of absolute, absolute <laughs> really success, has. which I completely appreciate, yeah. and, it, and it must utterly suck. I, I spoke to um, the, the pop star M&EK recently, and, you know, he had the biggest hit of 2020 and couldn't go out and celebrate. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, you guys should form your own little bubble and kind of get together with this, the 2020 success stories that <laughs> haven't been able to party. But I, I want to say to yeah. you, you absolutely, mate, you've absolutely made it. This is this is great. I can only see massive things. Thank now. you. I appreciate that. Brilliant, brilliant cool. stuff. Really impressed. The other thing I would say to you is just for our listeners, you know, you are genuinely a, a living embodiment of resilience. Ten years plus, you you sat in a pub and told me you you were gonna you dreamt of being a director. Here you are doing it. Just give me one brief way of of telling people how they keep going, how they keep following those dreams. 
have two jobs and don't give up. <laughs> Both of them crucial. Gavin, I wish you every success for the future. I can't wait to see what comes next. Is there something in the pipeline or is it too early? No, I've got all kinds of stuff going on. I can't talk about things, but one of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the really awesome things that happened off the back of Archive was I got signed by a big agency in LA who've been introducing me to all these like fantastic production companies. And now I've got like five projects um, that are being developed right now. So it's all super cool, like ultimate dream stuff. But I can't really tell you what that is, I'm afraid, at the moment. But it's all sci-fi stuff. It's moving more into the kind of action genre and a little bit into the comedy genre. And really? I'm, I'm super thrilled about being able to get this stuff together. I mean, I'm saying this now, like every film conversation takes two years. So whatever I'm talking about now, it's kind of, you know, all I've got to say is like, you know, hold this thought for two years and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I can't wait. I sincerely look forward to our next chat, Gav. And, and I tell you what, I've mentioned my moon lithogram. I clearly need to get an archive one to sit next to it now because, you know, moon started Duncan. Archive, I think, is pro- is going to propel you. I think it's going to be massive. So you need to tell me when I can get a lithogram of 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 the archive poster because it's yeah cool. well i mean it'd be so cool to get into that kind of stuff um yeah hit me up on twitter we'll see what we talking to now you got it you i want one too now you've mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for your company i wish you all the very best mate nice one awesome thank you the andy j podcast if you're enjoying the andy j podcast we'd love a review in fact if you're enjoying the show why not tell your friends podcasts live and die on well often word of mouth so Please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review and share. Thank you.